Uh, last week we talked about the theology of giving and family matters and those things. But this morning, I want to talk to you about uh, some of the practical steps of that. I'm sure that you understand that 2020 has been a very stressful year for a number of reasons. Not the least of which has been the financial stress that the downturn in the economy because of things closing uh, has placed upon families. I know personally a number of families who had jobs and job opportunities close and, and, and a, a reduction in the numbers of workers caused them to lose their job, to be laid off, those sorts of things. And the financial stress that that has put on a lot of people is just palpable. A lot of people are dealing with that. And a recent survey uh, that was taken across our nation indicated that the number one stress, the number one source of stress in people's lives is money. So this is a crucial factor at all times, but not only in all times, but even more so in this period of time that we're living in now with all of the added pressure. A third of all divorces, when asked about what the major, major factors were in the ending of the marriage, in a third of all of those, money was listed as the number one factor. The thing that separated relationships and the things that caused the structure of the family to be in deteriorate. And the most contentious aspect was the funding and the money that was there. So what do we do? Last week, we talked about the theology and putting God first and mammon and all of those things. Okay, all of that's good that we understand. All right, I'm going to put God first, but then what? How do I balance my life in such a way so that the stress and the worry and the concern about the future and what do we do when, when we grow older and how will we live and how do we pay our bills, all of those things... God's given us some, just some practical advice in his word for how we can live in a way that can take all of that worry, all of that fear, all of that stress off of you. Now, we talked about last week that a lot of people say, well, you know, all I need is just more money. But here's the reality. There are lots of people who come into sudden windfalls of money, be it through an inheritance, and every now and then you hear about somebody winning the lottery, and there's, a, there's a, almost a constant sad refrain in those things that even when people come into a lot of money in very short order they don't have it anymore it's all gone their debt is proportionally about the same as it's always been they may have a lot of stuff that ends up getting sold off but because they never put into their lives the principles that you find in God's word they never learned the things that they needed to learn the pressure and the stress all returns even greater sometimes because they never did with their money what God has practically instructed us to do. And that's what I want to give you today. Just some practical steps as it relates to our money and our finances. You ready? Here we go. Number one, make a plan for your money. Otherwise, it'll make a plan of its own. Money doesn't just happen. You don't just, you don't just wander into wealth. You don't just happenstance into having all of your needs met and having a surplus. It doesn't just happen because life goes on. Rather, it takes a strategic, communicated, articulated, written down, thought about plan. Make a plan for our money, otherwise it will make a plan for its own. Let me tell you the plan that money has. If you don't plan for it, here's its plan. It's all going to be gone. It's going to be wasted. It's going to be used up. And you won't have what you need. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 5 is where we begin in the scripture. It says this. 
The plans, and I want you to notice that, the plans, the strategic ideas, the articulated, uh, written down, noted plans, the plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. I want to set in juxtaposition just for a moment those two words, someone who makes a plan and someone who does things by haste. Because the person who is hasty about their money, the person who buys on impulse, and the person who never takes the time to sit down and make a list and write out things and think about how much is going into savings and think about how much is going to the electric bill and the water bill and the car. And do we need to buy a car? Do we need to have a house? Do we need this big house? Do we need to, do we need to use a credit card? Do we have the money to... Listen, the person that is hasty basing their money on how they feel, that person is going to end up in poverty. But the person who makes a plan, and it's a diligent plan, a plan that you stick to, that leads to profit. So one one end ends up in profit, and the other ends up in poverty. I hear people all the time that talk about money like it's an accident. Like people that have money got there because they were luckier. Like they, they got a break that I didn't get or they had an opportunity. And yes, there are certainly things that happen in life where some people have opportunities that didn't. But listen, I know lots of people that started out with nothing and no opportunity and no chance. And because of their diligence and their hard work and, and all that they applied themselves to be, they end up far ahead of those who started out with something because they made a plan, because God placed something in their heart to cause them to be strategic and to be specific about what they were going to do do in their life as it relates to their money. There's some areas that you need to plan in, and these aren't complicated, but if you don't make a plan down to this level, you're never going to end up with profit. You're never going to end up ahead. Here's the first one. Plan for the month. What are you going to do with your money this month? Here's a great way to start. Get you a piece of paper You you could even break it down further, and you're going to have to. If you're going to do a month, you're going to have to start with a day. And take a piece of paper, and for a week, write down every expenditure, every expenditure, every soda you buy, every meal out you eat, every gallon of gas, every, I mean, everything, every penny that you spend in a week, write it down. And then do that for a month. Take a month and record every purchase of any size. Can you do that? Sure you can. It'll take a little diligence. Now you're on your way to a plan. Now you're beginning to formulate something that God can bless. He can show you ways to move your plan, but you got to start by determining to make a plan. Take a month and record every purchase of any size. Number two, ask yourself this question. Did I really need those things? Did I need to buy the things that I bought? It's, it's amazing to me sometimes when I have people do this and they look at the number of meals that they ate out and they look at the amount of money that they spent on things that they could have done at home that would have been much less expensive, much, much more frugal. Now, there'll come a moment. Listen, our goal is to get to the place where you can eat out as much as you want because you've been diligent. But when you begin this, you can't start out doing that. So take a month, record every purchase of any size, and then ask yourself, did I really need to buy those things? And then when you've done that, after you've written them all down, and you've asked yourself that question, here's the decision that you'll have to come to. What might I have saved instead of spending? 
And could I have used that little bit that I save to begin to reduce my debt? Because most people start this because they have debt. And they don't know how to get out of it. So here's how you begin. Just some practical steps. Take a month. Write down every expense that you have. Ask yourself, did I really need to spend on those things? And then the next month when you determine that... No, I could have done without that. I could have packed my lunch instead of buying. We could have stayed home and played board games instead of going out. We could have, we could have vacationed locally instead of going way off. We could have, listen, there are all kinds of ways to do that. When you do that, you're going to begin to suddenly get yourself to a place where there's some money left over. You use that to begin to pay down your debt. And remember, it's the diligent plans it's not the one-minute plan that you stick to. I'm like that, you know. You, I say, you know, at lunch today I ate a salad. I wonder if I lost any weight yet. Well, it doesn't work that way. It takes time. It takes a rep- repetition of that plan. It takes staying in that plan, having a budget, and working it, and seeing it work for you, where suddenly you begin to work that debt down lower and lower and lower. And I want you to know there's nothing that feels better than getting to a place where you don't have any outstanding debts. So first of all, make a plan for the month. Secondly, plan for the future. Did you know that the future is coming? You're not going to avoid it. No matter how young you are, now's the time to start making that plan. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, a little later in that same chapter, Solomon wrote this. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Once again... People are prone to say, oh, I just didn't have the breaks. I didn't get the opportunity. But this doesn't say that the lucky have wealth and luxury. It says that the wise do. The the wise, and the, the word there has an indication of someone looking towards their future, somebody making plans, somebody being diligent, somebody not leaving it to chance. And it's those kinds of people that end up wealthy and live in what most of us would consider luxury. But fools spend everything they get. They give no thought to the future. Everything's going to work out. If it doesn't work out, well, I guess I'll buy lottery tickets. I don't know what people are thinking. Well, there'll always be Social Security. But listen, that's just barely enough to live on, even if it's there when we get older. Having something one day isn't chance or luck. Now listen to me. Having something, having more than you have now isn't chance and it's not luck. I always, I also hear people that do this sometimes. They'll say, Lord, bless me. Oh, Lord, would you just, would you just bless me beyond my need? I want you to know that God will bless you. But I have yet to have the Lord drop bags of money in my yard. Rather, what he has dropped into my yard is opportunities to get educated, opportunities to get a job opportunities to work a little harder, pick up some overtime, do some other things. The Lord will bless you, but there's almost never this uncommitted, unconnected, without commitment on your part thing where the Lord ignores your life and just pours in financial blessing. There is a law of sowing and reaping. You sow well, you reap well to the measure that a man or a woman sows, the scripture says, that'll be the measure to which they reap. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you reap generously. So having something one day isn't chance or luck. Most wealthy people didn't start out that way. Let me say that again. You can get to a standard by which this world will call you wealthy. 
Most of the people that are wealthy didn't begin that way. They made a plan. They worked diligently. They took time. What are some of the things they did? Let me give you some things that you can begin doing. You say, oh, I'm I'm too late. Well, you may have been better off if you started earlier, but it's never too late to begin. Some of the things that people who end up with with means that are greater than what you may have now. Here's some things that they did. Ask yourself this question. Have you done these? Will you do them? Because I'm convinced that if you will do them, the Lord will bless you. You ready? Here they go. Most wealthy people educated themselves in their field. They didn't all go to college, but they educated themselves in their field. They got to be the best that they could at whatever it was the Lord had called them to do. And they educated themselves. They dug deeper. They stayed up later. They wrote longer papers. They they checked the spelling more. They applied themselves in ways that others weren't willing to do so. Listen, if you want to be great, you're going to have to be able to give and be willing to give more than most would give. You're going to have to go further than most would go. You're going to have to stay longer with a better attitude and invest more of yourself than what most people would do. Most people that end up wealthy, they educate themselves in their field. As I said already, number two, they worked harder than most. You can't can't hang out in the pack and just barely do what's required of you. And expect that God, the God who is blessing you with creativity and blessing you with a strong body and a sharp mind and who can, even through the gifts of the Spirit, give you wisdom and knowledge that others don't have. When that happens, you got to be willing to step forward and give more and work more and stay longer and be more than what others would. People that end up wealthy, number three, they sacrificed more than most. They're willing to do without in order to have something someday. You're going to have to be willing to live small now so that one day you can live large. That's one of the things going on in young people in our country today. They won't have everything mom and dad has the moment they graduate from high school. And this is not possible. Mom and dad came from a generation that understood that you start off small. Mom and dad can show you those pictures of the one-room house they lived in. That little tiny, you know, that, that, that 1950-whatever Buick that they drove that they anointed with oil every week about a quart they had to put in it. It was all broke down. They kept bailing wire it back together. They had nothing. You see what they have now. Oh, mom's got this and dad's got this and they go here. We want that. Fine. Start out small and grow at large like they did. They sacrificed more than most. So they educated themselves in their field, people that end up wealthy. They worked harder than most do. They sacrificed more than most. And then here's the thing that I think is the most practical. They saved more than most. They didn't spend up everything that they got every month. They put something back. They did it month after month after month after month. They, put it, they, 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 they gave God 10%. Here's a great formula if you want a great percent. The 80-10-10. Live on 80%. Save 10%. Give God 10%. Live on 80. Give God 10. Save 10. You'll end up wealthier than anybody you know if you'll start that as a young person. So they saved more than most. And then finally, and here's something that most most people don't know about most wealthy people, and not all of them, but certainly those in the body of Christ. Those are often some of the most generous people around. They worked and educated themselves in their field. They worked harder than most. They sacrificed more than most. They saved more than most, and then they gave more than most. 
And I'm convinced that if you'll incorporate those practical steps as you plan for your future, you will end up with more than most. And that's the way. It's not the lottery. It's not the, it's not the inheritance that you will. Or Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to spin up everything I've got and leave my kids with nothing. <laughs> that's, not really, but listen. But that's not what you count on. You got to work. You got to educate. You got to work harder. You got to sacrifice more. You got to save more. And you got to be generous more than others. 80% of Americans today, statistically, live paycheck to paycheck. Listen, you may not know what, uh oh, is coming. You know what I'm talking about? Uh oh, uh oh, transmission went out. Uh oh, furnace broke. Uh oh, got a roof that needs to be replaced. Uh oh, got a, got a sickness. You don't know what, uh-oh, is coming, but you know it's coming. That's life. No one skates through this life without moments of greater need and greater circumstance. So plan for your future. Plan for those things. You don't know what's coming, but you do know something will eventually cause you to need more. Life breaks down we we used to joke about there was an article in reader's digest a number of years ago and in this little article it was a funny funny story this this man found out that he couldn't talk around any of his appliances about having extra money because if he did that appliance would quickly break so he and his wife would always go out in the yard and whisper to each other about having something extra so the refrigerator wouldn't hear them that's the way they felt like said every time we have something extra it something happens but listen plan for the future so plan for your month and then plan for the future. And then thirdly, as it relates to this idea about making a plan, plan for giving. Put God first in what goes out. We talked about the theory of mammon last week. Put God first in what goes out. I've done it many times. If you were live in the room, I would do it today. But if I took, if I took $1,000 bills and laid them across if my, if my pay this month was $1,000 and I broke it into $100 increments and I said, okay, $100 is 10% of 1,000, which one of those is the tithe? I've done it many times. Some people say, oh, it's the one on the left. No, 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 it's the one on the right. Listen, it doesn't matter where it's aligned. The tithe is the first one to leave. So are you giving your tithe to something else? Do you take care of everything else before you give to the Lord? Have you made a plan that allows you to give? Because whatever leaves first, that's your tithe, and that belongs to the Lord. So make a plan for the month, make a plan for your future, and make a plan for giving. Put God first in what goes out. And as you begin to do that, you'll be able to give beyond the tithe, because the scripture talks about tithe and offerings. I'm just so blessed that from the very early, I mean, from the earliest, the whole time, that Leanne and I have been married, we have always been tithers, and we've always given above the tithe. And I think that's the place to be. It's, it's a great blessing, and we, we want for almost nothing. The Lord has blessed us, blessed us, blessed us. So number one, make a plan for your money. Number two, and this may seem silly, and I'll wrap this up pretty quickly, but number two, don't buy stuff you can't afford. Don't buy stuff that you can't afford. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. How do you, how do you keep from paying interest that eats you up? Be patient. Wait. 
Don't buy everything the moment that you see it. Spend some time thinking about it. How about this? Spend some time saving for it. There is nothing, at least to me, there is nothing that feels better than paying with cash or writing the check out of your account. There's nothing that feels better than waiting a while and saving your money, paying everything else, putting God first, being generous to others, saving, 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 and then doing it without any, without any real detriment to what's going on in your plan. One of the things that we began a number of years ago is that we began every month after we'd done everything else that we wanted to do, we began to put an amount of money over. We actually created a separate savings account here at a bank in town that we don't bank with with anything else. And we every month, we would put money over into it, just not a whole lot, but every month. And that was our vacation fund. And we just kept putting it over, putting it over, putting it over. Wasn't a lot of money. We just put it over. And when we finally get to whatever trip we'd plan, whenever we got to the place where we could do it, then we'd go, I'd go in, Leanne would say, be sure and go by the bank and get our money. And I'd go in, and the ladies, I'd say, how much is in there? And they would say, I'd say, okay, leave, leave, leave this amount to keep the account open. Give me all the rest of it. And they would count it all out. And I was like, whoo, maybe I'm not going to go on vacation. I'm skipping town with my wife's money. All right, but then we would go on vacation. And sometimes we'd have to wait to do things, but we had no guilt. There wasn't any credit card debt when we came back. It took a while to be able to, to do some of the things we wanted to do. But don't, 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 don't buy stuff you can't afford. When you do, you put somebody else in charge of your money. You owe them some of it. They're charging you interest. Don't be the borrower. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6 says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What does that mean? If, if, the, if having two of something causes the, all the peace and the joy and the goodness to drain out of your life, it's better to just have one handful and to be able to have it peacefully without all the stress and all the toil. Be patient. Let God grow you to the place where you can do those things. Let interest work for you instead of against you. What does that mean? If you've never sat down, if you've never gone through Peace University, Financial Peace University, Sit down and recognize how much of your money is going to pay interest on things that you bought because you wouldn't wait. Now, there's some things that don't really apply to this. A house is appreciating in today's market more than the interest rates, so that's fine. Cars are an iffy thing, but normally cars, you're going to lose money on them in the, in the interest. But let interest work for you. Credit cards are always against you. You're always paying more than they're worth. Pay them off. Only use credit cards to the extent that you can pay them off quickly. Don't allow huge amounts of debt that, that eat you up with the interest. You know what that feels like. So be patient. And let interest work for you instead of against you. And then under this about not buying stuff you can't afford. And this is important. Be humble. You say, what's that got to do with money? Oftentimes, it's our desire to impress someone else or to have what someone else has or to go where they're going or to do what they're doing that causes us to put ourselves in debt in a way that we wouldn't have if we just said, look, I'm not trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm going to live the life God has blessed me to live right now, and I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to not do everything that everyone else is doing. 
I don't want to do the things that I'm doing in order to impress others. I don't have to dress a certain way or drive a certain thing or live in a certain house. I'm going to live within my means. I'm going to live within the blessing of God. And I'm going to allow him to bring me to a place because of my patience and my humility so that one day I'll have the ability to do anything I want to do. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus speaking, he said, then he said, beware, guard against every every kind of greed life is not measured by how much you own and we live in a world where that is so powerfully so powerfully impressed upon people that they live a life consumed whether they would call it greed or not with a desire to have what everybody else has and do what everybody else is doing i absolutely believe that god has the desire to bless his people if we will live our lives in a way that make it possible for him to do so. But the Lord's not going to bless greed. And he's not going to bless you in ways that would damage you and hurt you. It wouldn't be a blessing, then it'd be a curse. So let me recap real quickly. Guys, could you come back, please? Or, the, or Tracy, if you could come back. And Jane Ann, would you join her, please? And if we could just do that last... That last one, I've seen you move, you moved the mountain. Make a plan. Plan for giving. Plan for your future. Plan for the month. And then don't buy stuff you can't afford. If you'll do that, I believe God will bless you. But here's how I want to end this today. Some of you, you have a mountain up against you already. A mountain of debt. A mountain that has pushed the life down out of you. You live in a constant, constant sense of stress and worry. You don't know what the future is going to do. You don't know where you're going to go. You don't know how you're going to live. You, you don't know, I mean, you, you don't know about next month, much less 25 years from now or 30 years from now or, or five years from now if you're at that place in life. And the pressure of that is so draining of life out of you. enemy just he just consumes your rest and he consumes your peace and he's consuming your future because this area in your life is out of balance this isn't a complicated sermon and the remedy of this on the outside isn't complicated either but it might be on the inside right where you're at right now would you just bow your heads with me and would you do this this begins first with a moment of submission. Lord, I give all that I am to you. Every dollar I have, every dollar I'll make. My dreams, Father, I give to you. Lord, my sense of well-being, I want that to come from you and not from this world, not from what I have, not from how people see me. Lord, I want to live in a way financially to bring glory and honor to you. I want to put you first in this. Some of you right now are struggling to put God first. As things tightened up and as finances became restricted, all of a sudden things begin to reveal themselves in your life. Worry and fear. Listen, I get it. I love the line in this song that says, I know the night won't last. If you've been faithful 
And if you've lived with a plan and economic downturn has occurred in a way that has caused you to be filled with fear, I am absolutely confident that the Lord will care for you and your family. I believe that. We're going to pray in a moment that the enemy who has tried to cause you to be constantly afraid and constantly pressured and constantly depressed, overwhelmed because of the financial reality that seems to be looming in front of you, we're going to pray that peace and rest and provision would sweep all of that away. Some of you, you can't do this because you won't let go of that other life. You won't let go of that image that the Lord has given you the ability to do something at one level, but you are straining towards another one and you're moving too fast. Now listen, that pressure is not going to go away until you release your life and you live at the place that God has equipped you to live now. Until you surrender yourself to be who he's created you to be and where you're at right now. Until you stop trying to define yourself by the world's standards. You're going to live in that pressure. Allow the Lord to bring you peace and joy. Father, right now, no matter where people find themselves today, Lord, it is not your desire that your people would live under the pressure and the fear and the condemnation and the doubt. Father, first of all, Father, first of all, there's not one person under the sound of my voice that you value them because of what they can make or produce. Lord, you're not disillusioned with us. You've never had any illusions about us. We are broken and we are frail and we are imperfect. And we make mistakes and sometimes we're wise. You're a redeemer who redeems it all, Lord. So, Lord, move the mountain out of some lives right now. I didn't say pile up a mountain of money, people. I asked the Lord to remove the doubt and the fear and the need to impress and the need to be seen in a certain way so that you can do and be all that God wants you to be so that he can begin to walk you toward his blessing in a way that will bring you to a place where you have more than most, but that still won't be the thing that you identify yourself by or the thing that establishes your value. You are valuable because you're a son of God. You're valuable because you're a daughter of the king. You're valuable because the blood of Jesus was poured out for you. You're valuable because you're loved by a host of people on this earth. Oh, come on, you're valuable, not because of what you have or what you can do, but because of who you are. And not who you are in the world's eyes, but who you are in your heavenly Father's eyes. So we bind the enemy of your spirit right now that comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And we loose the spirit that has come that you may have life and that abundantly. 